0: That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback.
1: Evening Time Sport, April 12. Dalglish slams shameful Rangers Celtic scenes. Report by David Evans. Kenny Dalglish has slammed the shameful scenes that marred the old firm Derby as glass bottles were launched onto the pitch. The second half was delayed at eyebrows when a smashed bottle was cleared from the penalty area, while Celtic physio Danny Frio required stitches after being struck by a missile from the stands. Dalglish blasted the shocking incidents but warned against tarring all fans with the same brush. As he insisted, Scotland is better than that. Speaking on the Derby incidents, he said, Nobody needs it. It doesn't matter who is playing. If there's 200 at the game, it doesn't matter. You don't do it. You've got to be able to behave when you go to the matches. That's for everybody. It's hard if you're losing, but it's even harder if you're locked up and behind bars. It's 50,000 people at a game. It's not right, but it's still unfair on the other people to be classed in the same breath. Celtic went on to claim victory in the heated derby clash at Ibrox with Tom Rogic and Cameron Kata Vickers netting after Aaron Ramsey's opener after three minutes. But reaction to the match just two weeks out from the Hamden Scotty Cup semi-final meeting between the sides on Sunday has been dominated by the sour fan incidents. For Douglas, it's an issue that needs prompt action with the Celtic and Rangers fixtures broadcast around the globe. He added, one of their own players could have been hit by that thing. They were attacking that goal or even if they're defending it, it's not right. It's got to be corrected. But it shouldn't be publicised either because Scotland is better than that. The Scottish nation is better than that. And the football teams are better than that. On the whole and in the main, the fans are better than that. Report by David Irvin. Evening Times Sport, April 12. SPFL bosses increasingly confident of VAR implementation. Report by James Kearney. Scottish football chiefs are increasingly confident that clubs will vote for VAR to be implemented, according to reports. All 42 SPFL clubs will vote on whether or not to bring in the technology after a series of high profile officiating errors over the course of the campaign. If successful, VAR will be introduced to the top flight next season once the World Cup in Qatar has concluded. According to the Daily Mail, SPFL bosses are increasingly confident that clubs will vote in favour of the proposal, while assurances have been made to teams that sponsorship will be found to help cover the cost. The Mail report that the governing body have promised clubs that they will seek a sponsor for the technology with the annual running costs estimated to be in the region of £1.4 million. In order for VAR to be introduced, nine Premiership clubs must cast their ballots in favour of the proposal. While 15 sides from the championship, League One and League Two, must also vote for the technology to be brought in. According to a recent report from the BBC, the cost will be determined by league position, with the country's top sides footing a larger share of the bill. Evening Time Sport, April 12. Nacho Novo on why roof will ensure the Iverts Club do not end up trophyless. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Nacho Novo supplied the goal that clinched the Scottish title for Rangers on Helicopter Sunday in 2005, coolly slotted home the penalty that took the Iverts Club through to the UEFA Cup final in 2008 and netted a long range volley that won the Scottish Cup in 2009. So it is fair to say the Spaniard is well placed to assess whether a striker can lead the line for the Glasgow Giants and provide the cutting edge in the final third that is required to land silverware in Scotland and triumph in Europe. He believes Kemar Roof, who scored a hat-trick in the 4-0 victory over cinch Premiership struggler St Myrne on Sunday is more than capable of doing both and is convinced Giovanni van Bronckhurst's side can enjoy a hugely successful season at home and abroad as a result. Navo has been baffled by the criticism which has been aimed in Ruth's direction since Alfredo Morelos suffered the thigh injury that is going to sideline him for the remainder of the campaign. Fans and pundits have argued the Jamaican International lacks the physical required to play as a lone striker in a 4-3-3 formation and called for Van Bronkers to alter his setup and tactics to give the former Leeds United and Anderlecht player greater support. However, the Rangers Hall of Fame member disagrees and expects the £4.5 million signing to be a key man in the Europa League quarter final second leg tie against Braga at Ibrox on Thursday, the Scottish Cup semi-final against Celtic at Hampden on Sunday and in the remaining five Premiership matches. Roof is a great player. He said yesterday at a Premier Sports media event to promote their coverage of the Scottish Cup semi-finals. Morales will be a big miss as he is one of the best players in the team. Since he has come to Rangers, he is getting better and better every year. But he is injured now and Roof has to prove he can play every game and score goals. I think it will be good for him to get the chance to show he can be Rangers number one striker. He is always in the right place and he showed that against St Man on Sunday. For his first two goals on Sunday, he found a yard of space inside the area and he is so clever. It's a difficult thing to do, but he found that area and he knew where the ball was going to be and showed he knows where the goal is. Does it take games to get up to sharpness? It can do, but I think it is up to the player to show they are ready when needed. I have been there myself and it can be difficult not playing, but it's up to you to be fit and sharp. I believe if you are training full time every single day and you push yourself to the limit, then you are good to go when the manager needs you. He has shown what he can do, so I don't think he needs time. It will be interesting to see what he can do. But I believe in him 100%. Morelos is a totally different player to Kemar, but I think he can play wherever he wants to. He's good through the middle or on the wing. If he is up front on his own, he needs to have that support coming from midfield. Ryan Kent is playing well again and impacting games, the players will know where Roof likes to receive the ball and his movements after working with him. Joe Aribo is another who will need to create chances for Kamar to score more goals. For me, I think Roof is the main man right now. You can see his movement and he will create chances with that He still has to put them away, but his goal return is good. Now we will see on Thursday and Sunday what he can do. There are two massive games for Rangers and their season. Novo helped Rangers bounce back from a 2-1 defeat in the final Old Firm game of the 2004-2005 season at Ibrox that left them five points behind Celtic in the Premier League with just four games remaining and lift the Scottish title on the final day. He was bitterly disappointed that Van Bronckhorst's men were beaten at home by Ange Posticoglu's leaders by an identical scoreline earlier this month. But he is convinced James Tavernier and his teammates can still retain their trophy. He said, the league title race is not over. You never know what can happen. It's happened before and the team can still win it mathematically. You have to take it game by game and win them and see what Celtic can do. They have Europe, the semi-final as well as the league. But that's what you want at a club like Rangers. You want to be involved in the big games in as many competitions as possible. That's how it should be at Rangers and they should try to win everything. As soon as I signed for Rangers, I remember Sandy Jardine gave me a wee book. It was all about the values of the club. It was incredible. It showed you the mentality of the players, how it needed to be. It was basically that Rangers need to win every game. Sometimes you can't. Celtic will obviously be the same, but the mentality has to be win, win, win. I love playing with that pressure. That was the values of the club. Win every time you play. Rangers have dropped vital Premiership points after big European games on four occasions this season and Novo can remember how a hectic schedule of matches at the end of the 2007-2008 campaign contributed to them missing out on the Scottish title. But Novo feels the Van Bronker's team should go all out for victory in all three competitions they are still involved in, and is hopeful they can surpass the achievements of the Walter Smith side He was a member of. He said, it happened to us when we went to Manchester. It was the first year where we played so many games. We played 68 games. This was tough. We were going the full length of all the competitions. Maybe there was a bit of fatigue, but that can not be an excuse. There are no excuses. You have to deal with it. We won together and we lost together. We just wanted to prove and I think Rangers have a good chance of doing that in the next few games. They are all good memories and memories that will die with me. I really enjoyed my time, but now I want Rangers to progress and be the best they can be in the league, in Europe and the Scottish Cup. Hopefully they can make something special that's even better than the team I was part of. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport April 12 Rangers target Sam Johnston set to leave West Brom. Report by James Kearney West Brom manager Steve Bruce is resigned to losing goalkeeper Sam Johnston for nothing this summer when the Shotstoppers contract expires. The 29-year-old who progressed through the youth ranks at Manchester United before making a permanent switch to the Hawthorns in 2018, has reportedly caught the eye of Ibrox Chiefs. Rangers declared an interest in the England International last week, according to reports, and it appears Johnson will be on the move this summer for nothing. The Premiership champions could face competition from Tottenham, however, with the Premier League club also credited with an interest in the keeper. Bruce told The Athletic, the likelihood is that Sam is going to leave, but I have seen enough of the kid that Alex Palmer and David Button has played enough for me to know he is a very, very decent goalkeeper. I am quite happy with him and we are in discussions with him now over next year and I hope that could be fruitful. We are blessed in that department the way i think at the moment is to let these two go head to head report by james kearney evening time sport april 12. stephen davis is the best midfielder at Ibrooks. report by matthew lindsay rangers manager giovanni van bronckhurst has been urged to hand Stephen Davis a start in the second leg of the Europa Cup quarterfinal at Ibrox on Thursday night, even if John Lundström is fit to face Braga. Northern Ireland international Davis has been injured this year and has been used sparingly by the Dutchman when he has been available for selection. However, the 37-year-old performed well in the 4 nothing triumph over St Myrne on Sunday after coming on for Lindstrom, who suffered a groin strain midway through the first half. Van Bronckhurst, whose team lost one nothing to Braga in Portugal last week, is hopeful he will be able to name Lindstrom in his side for the massive midweek fixture. But Nacho Novo The former Rangers striker, who played alongside Davis when the Glasgow Giants reached the UEFA Cup final in 2008, thinks his old teammate should be involved regardless. I'm surprised he's not played a bit more under Giovanni, he said yesterday at a Premier Sports media event ahead of the Scottish Cup semi-final with Celtic at Hampden on Sunday. To be honest, he is the best midfielder at Rangers. There's no doubt about it. He can still go. He is so fit, he can probably play till 40. He is a great player. I don't know what happens on the training ground or what Geo sees, so I can't comment on why he's not played so much. But if it was down to me, he would play every game. He has years left in him. He is fit and dictating games. He is a great player. But then maybe I need to ask him first because the last time I played, I just remember an 18 year old boy running past me. Rangers are six points behind Celtic in the Singe Premiership with five games remaining and are in danger of being beaten to the Scottish title by their city rivals. But Novo feels 133 times Cap Davis can help his old club to enjoy a hugely successful season if he is given a run in the first team. Novo continued, I think he is a great player and is getting better because of the experience he has. He has played in the best leagues and I think he will have a big part to play in the remainder of the season. I would like to see him beside Ryan Jack. I love Ryan Jack and probably Glenn Camare. For me, that would be the three. The good thing is they have good options in there. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Evening Times Sport April 12 Scottish Premiership VAR costs laid bare with final league positions. Report by Ewan Payton. Clubs in Scotland next week will be asked to vote on whether VAR should be introduced to the Premiership next season. The vote will be held on Tuesday, April 19 and will determine whether the video technology will be implemented in Scotland's top flight after the Winter World Cup this December. All 42 member clubs have a vote So it's not just the current 12 in the top flight who have a say. To get the green light for the proposal, at least 75% of all clubs from the four professional tiers must vote in favour. If it is voted through, it will not come for free though. It is expected that VAR could cost up to £1 million per Adam. It's certainly no secret that the top flight clubs will be the teams who need to fund its implementation. But according to the BBC, the amount each club will contribute to the technology will depend on their final league position this campaign. The winners will cover the largest portion of the bill at 16.29%, while runners up will be required to pay 11.67%. The 12th team in the league will cover the least amount with 5.63% expected to come from them. Here's how much each team, depending on final position, will need to cover. Number one, the winner of the Premier League, 16.29%. Second, 11.67%. Third, Ten point oh three per cent, fourth eight point eight one per cent, fifth eight point two one per cent, sixth seven point six one per cent, seventh six point nine seven per cent, eighth six point six nine per cent, ninth six point three eight per cent, tenth six point oh eight per cent, eleventh 5.63%, 12, 5.63%. Report by Ewan Peyton, Evening Times Sport. April 13. Nathaniel Collins admits arrival of first child has given him extra motivation in the ring. Report by Graeme McPherson. There is nothing like the imminent arrival of a baby in the family to help focus the mind. Nathaniel Collins has already taken significant strides forward in his boxing career over the past 12 months, but news that his partner Anna is expecting their first child in September has given him added motivation. This is no longer just about fulfilling his own dreams. It changes everything. The idea of becoming a parent admits the 25 year old. You're not just fighting for yourself now, it's for your partner and your baby. I know I need to make it happen as other people are depending on you. That's something that definitely helps keep you focused and make sure you're working as hard as you can. The bears then featherweight is now undefeated in 10 professional fights, a run of victories that saw him become the Commonwealth champion last summer on the Kainoch Boxing Fight Zone Outdoor Cart at Hamilton Ackeys. The fighter known as the Nightmare has already defended that belt once in Bolton in November and will do so again in May on the undercard of Hannah Rankin's world title contest at Glasgow's Hydro, when he takes on fellow undefeated featherweight, Jacob Robinson of Wales. He adds, I'm getting put on the bigger shows now, and it doesn't really get much bigger than the Hydro, so I'm looking forward to that one. This is going to be a really good fight. Our styles will gel and it will turn into a great one. I've seen his last fight when he won the Welsh title, so I know a bit about what he does and doesn't like. It'll end up a bit of a war between us with me chasing him, but when it gets to the later rounds, it'll be a fight. He's not going to be able to box for the whole 12 rounds, and I'll catch up with him. It can often be a long slog to the top for many boxers, but Collins believes he is gradually getting to where he wants to be after putting in the hard work over the years. He continues, Things are starting to turn for me. I believe I was really struggling up to about a year ago to get sponsors and financial backing. But since I won the Commonwealth title, I have started to get more people wanting to get on board. I've hooked up with a boxing marketing company and they've managed to get me a few more sponsors who are backing me like Phoenix Utility from East Kilbride and CJC Recruit Limited from Paisley. So I am starting to build up a team and a solid base that is allowing me to commit full time to boxing and the wages are getting a bit better as well, which always helps. I've got my own gym unit where I run boxer-size classes, but that's now just something I like to do rather than because I need to make a living from it. Being able to commit myself full-time to boxing has made a big difference. Collins is not satisfied, however, to simply keep defending his Commonwealth strap over and over. He has his eyes on the vacant British featherweight title and purse bids for his contest with Nick Ball will be settled uh, this week ahead of a possible summer contest. Liverpoodley in that ball is 14-0 and 0 and part of Frank Warden's stable, but the Scot could have no issue with having to go away from home to fight if need be. He adds, it will be between fight zone and BT sports to see who gets to show it. So we'll see what happens there. I'm kind of hoping it goes on a BT show as I'm confident of putting in a good performance. I'm not worried about hometown decisions or anything like that as I trust my ability to get the job done. Competing at world level is still the ultimate dream for me. I've said to my manager, Sam Kainoch and my promoters, that I don't want to just keep defending the Commonwealth Belt. I want to see what else is out there for me. If we weren't going to get a crack at the British title, I did ask about the WBC Silver Belt, which is is vacant just now as that would give you a top 10 world ranking and put you in a mandatory position for the WBC. I'm 21st at the moment, so I wanted to go that way, but it costs money to do that. So everything in good time. Collins is also hopeful that boxing can help him see a bit more of the world, having only ever fought professionally within the UK. And he adds, I'd love to go to Canada to defend my Commonwealth title at some point. In fact, I'd box anywhere in the world, given the chance. I'd be open to just about anything. Report by Graham McPherson Evening Time Sport, April 13 Celtic legend details the key quality that Posticoglu and Martin O'Neill share. Fourth by James Kearney. When most players hit their mid thirties, they begin managing their decline. The legs feel that little bit heavier as time wears on. Those ten yard sprints feel a little longer, and the time comes when they need to accept that their body cannot do the things it used to do so easily. But then again, Lubo Moravchik was no ordinary footballer. The Slovakian playmaker is revered as a cult figure to this day at Celtic and his artistic flair on the ball is still fondly recalled. He might have first graced these shores at the ripe old age of 33, but Moravcik didn't let that stop him from leaving an impressive legacy behind him at Parkhead. He still retains a fondness for the club. Merafczyk describes the moment he signed his first Celtic contract as a miracle and admits to being impressed by the work done thus far by Ange Postikoglu since the Greek-Australian took the reins back in the summer. With a League Cup already in the bag, a six-point lead in the table secured, and a Scottish Cup semi-final with Rangers to look forward to, a clean sweep of domestic honours in his debut campaign remains a distinct possibility. Such an achievement would put the current Celtic manager in the same company as Martin O'Neill and Brendan Rogers, and Moravchik can see similarities between the former and Postikoglu. Both inherited sides that had lost the league title the previous season Both wasted no time in stamping their authority on the playing squad, and both enjoyed near instant success. If Celtic go on to seal the Premiership title, Moravchik is in no doubt as to where it will have been won. Just like under O'Neill, he reckons that recruitment has been the key to Posticoglu's flying start. Said Moravchik, Martin was at Celtic for five years. He won three league titles, three Scottish Cups, a League Cup, and reached the UEFA Cup final. That's not a bad record. Martin brought Chris Sutton and John Hartson, which was important for that time. The biggest responsibility for the manager in British football is that not to make mistakes on his first signings. Mr. Vengloss was quite successful with me. John Barnes brought Stilly and Petro, which was very important for the future. Martin brought some of the best players in England. Sutton, Hartson, not Neil Lennon, although he wasn't bad. Alan Thompson too, Didier Agathe. Nobody could believe he would be so good. If you spend money, you have to be sure. I was cheap. It wasn't a big risk, but if you spend money, you have to be sure. And now everyone is happy with the Japanese players. He used his experience from Japan, knowing the good players. For both sides, it's very good. It's added some fresh blood in Europe. I spent four months in Japan. It's a good opportunity for the development of their players careers. There are little quirks of history that Moravchik can't help but notice, and there are particularly striking parallels between one of the Japanese quartet and Moravchik. Just like the Slovakian, Rio Hatati was thrown into the midfield for the Old Firm derby early on in his Celtic career, and just like the fans' favourite, scored twice against his side's bitter rivals. Even the midfielder's low-key celebration after rifling in his first goal, Moravscik says, looked eerily familiar to his own muted reaction to scoring against Rangers all these years ago. Moravscik grinned. I was jealous. It was similar things to me. The celebration was the same. He knew. He saw my video. I was back 20 years ago when I played for Celtic. The same thing happened again. It was fantastic. My celebration was because I was angry with the journalists. It was like, now you can see what I'm able to do. There was no celebration because it was easy for me to score goals like that. I would celebrate when I scored goals against Marseille or Paris Saint-Germain, but against Rangers. It was nothing for me. Seriously, there was a little bit of pressure on me that day. Only Mr. Venglos believed in my qualities and he told me before the kick-off, this is a very important game for you and for me. So thank you, Gaffer, no pressure. Rangers at that time had a very strong team. Giovanni van Bronckhorst, Jörg Alberts and Arthur Newman and it wasn't easy to prove myself against them. But it was absolutely perfect for me because I think I scored with only my second touch. It was a great moment, especially when I saw the reaction of the crowd and what it meant to them. My second goal was unusual because I didn't score many with my head, but it was important for me and for Mr. Venglos, because it proved he had signed a good player. Many people then realized I'm not a shit player. I played at the World Cup finals and I'd been voted the best foreign player in France when I was with Saint Etienne. I was also one of the highest played players in the country at that time. With Sunday's Scottish Cup semi-final looming, Moravchik is expecting a cagey affair where either side could come out on top. As a proud Celtic man, the 56 year old doesn't tune in to watch Rangers all that often, but he begrudgingly admits to being impressed by their exertions on the continent this term. And he added, I have not watched a lot of old firm games this season, but I've watched a little bit of the European games. I saw Rangers against Borussia Dortmund. Not the full game because it's not my favourite team. And I think they are a very solid team. There is not a big difference between Celtic and Rangers in terms of quality, especially a semi-final at Hampden. It's a neutral stadium. It's 50-50 in the stands and anything can happen. Celtic are almost champions, but not yet. They won the League Cup and it's a very big opportunity to win a treble. You need to play the game like it is the final of the European Cup, like it's the last game of the season. Report by James Kearney. Evening Times Sport, April 13. Lubo Moravec opens up on his main regret from his time at Celtic. Report by James Kearney Sometimes a player just knows when a good thing must come to an end. Unfortunately, as Lubomir Morabsyk found out to his peril, they can be wrong. The playmaker, a fan's favourite at Parkhead, thanks to his four-year stint in Scotland around the turn of the century, won five major trophies during his time in Glasgow and contributed his fair share to memorable successes during that time. Between the big games, big moments and big goals, Ljubommer has plenty to look back on from his time at the club and a sizable list of achievements that he can reflect on with pride. However, the former saint ITN and Bastia midfielder cannot help but look back and wonder at what could have been had he decided to stick around for another year. Moravcik announced at the start of the 2001-2002 campaign that he would be leaving Celtic and the Slovakian describes it as one of the chief regrets of his playing career because Martin O'Neill's team would go on to reach the UEFA Cup final the very next year. My first talk with O'Neill was not really successful for me, because he didn't know what role I could play in the team, Merafscik recalled, but everything changed when we had a discussion face to face. I told him I was ready to move because I was 35 and I wasn't young anymore. He said if I wanted to stay, he would give me an opportunity to play some games. The first game I played in Luxembourg, I scored two goals and he knew then that he could use my quality for the team for the season. I think it was the best season of my career because I finished with 15 goals and played a lot of games for my age. He knew how to use my quality for the team, not all the time but at the right time. At the end of the season, we were happy and I signed for another season, but I think I made a mistake because at the start of the season, I said it was my last for Celtic. I made a mistake. I should have stayed for one more year because Celtic could have won a European trophy with me. A move to Japan followed where Moravchik would be reacquainted with Joe Venglos, the same manager who brought him to Celtic in 1998. But he admits that the decision was made for the wrong reasons and that the move did not pan out. He continued, Sometimes I made too quick a decision. I felt maybe my role in the team would be less and less, and I was very proud. People must have been thinking, The stupid guy should sign another deal. In Japan, I had a very good contract for six months, better than at Celtic. The money was more important than my desire, but it was very hard in Japan at the age of 37. In Japan, the summer was very hot and very wet, and it was very hard for an older player. I was two months working hard out there. And it was a bad decision, because it was not easy to cope with the younger players running around me. I have a very good memory of Japan. I went with Dr Joe to the semi-final of the World Cup. Brazil won Turkey nothing. That was a good memory, but it was my only positive memory. The rest was shh. But I was stupid. I had a bad injury, and for six weeks... I had acupuncture and physiotherapy and I worked hard to get back. I played in the Japanese cup and we lost and I was sh- I didn't touch the ball and there was always pain in my ankle. I said to Dr. Joe I would try another game but we lost again and I was shh again. I was so disappointed I stopped. I left three months wages that I would be very happy to have today. But at that time, I was proud. I didn't want the money. I wanted to leave. But now I think, that was 300,000 euros I left there. Today that would make a nice holiday. But money is not everything. Report by James Kearney Evening Times Sport April 13 Celtic and Rangers face Champions League Nightmare. Report by Ewan Payton. Celtic or Rangers potential automatic spot in next season's Champions League group stages may be at threat. The winner of this season's Premiership will likely go straight into UEFA's top club competition next term. This will, of course, break in a huge financial windfall of around £40 million for the Scottish champions. However, if the winners of this season's Champions League have not qualified via their domestic league, then this would spell trouble for Scotland's champions. It would mean they would still have to go through qualification, entering at the play-off round. And with Villarreal still in the tournament, that very much remains a possibility. Especially when you consider the Spaniards have just knocked Bayern Munich out of the competition at the quarter-final stage. Unai Emery's team reached the last four of the tournament on Tuesday night. They drew 1-1 on the night with the German Giants to progress through their tie 2-1 on aggregate, with last season's Europa League winners causing a major upset. Villarreal sit well below La Liga's Champions League qualification spots in seventh, a whopping 11 points behind Atletico Madrid in fourth. They will now wait to find out who they face in the semi-finals, as they begin to dream of winning Europe's top trophy. This scenario has not happened since 2012, when Chelsea lifted the Champions League while finishing fifth in the English Premier League. And it's fair to say that Celtic Rangers will be praying that it doesn't happen again this year to scupper their straight passage into next season's group stages albeit should Russia continue to be expelled from UEFA competition during their ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Due to the current co-efficient standings, the Scottish champions would then be granted their place, so potentially not all would be lost. Report by Ewan Paton Evening Times Sport April 13 Aaron Ramsey quizzed on Rangers transfer speculation. Aaron Ramsey is hoping to play a key role in the season run-in for Rangers, but has put any thoughts over his future to one side until the end of his loan spell. The Juventus midfielder completed a sensational loan move in January, but has made just eight appearances so far in a quiet start to his stint in Glasgow. He was handed a start in the Derby loss to Celtic, where he netted after just three minutes, but is yet to claim a regular starting spot under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. However, Ramsey now reckons he's ready to play a crucial role in the closing stages of the Europa League, Scottish Cup and Scottish Premiership. He said, I'm feeling good. The thing I've been lacking over the last few years is consistency. I can still produce the numbers required and what I used to do. I have no issues with that. It's just getting consistency and getting into a bit of a rhythm. I have felt better and stronger and the games are coming thick and fast and hopefully I can play big parts in these games and show what I can do. I came here to win and to have the opportunity to play and show what I'm capable of doing. The main thing was we're in three competitions and we want to be successful in all of them. Ramsey still has another year on his deal at Juventus, but was today posed a question over whether he could make his switch to Rangers permanent. But the Welshman was reluctant to lose focus on the business end of the season as he insisted discussions will be kept until the summer. He said, now is not the time to go into too much detail. I still have a year left on my deal at Juventus, so we'll have to reassess the situation in the summer and see what they're thinking. We'll go from there. That's something for discussions and thoughts to be had at the end of the season. Report by David Irvin. Evening Time Sport, April 13. The Rangers legend whose words fans have followed over 150 roller coaster years. Report by Matthew Lindsay. No, not one and there never shall be one. Rangers supporters paid a spectacular tribute to the iconic players, great teams and prominent figures from their 150 year history before the singe Premiership match with Aberdeen at Ibrox kicked off this month. Giant banners showing the 1877 Scottish Cup final team, their first manager William Wilton and the treble winning side of 1949 were unfurled in the Broomloan Road stand. In the Sandy Jardine stand John Gregg holding aloft the European Cup Winners Cup in 1972, Graham Souness after the Premier Division victory in 1987, and the men who Dick Avocat led to a clean sweep of domestic silverware in 1999 were on view, and the famous images of Nacho Novo celebrating on his knees after scoring the winning penalty in the UEFA Cup semi-final against Fiorentina in 2008 and James Tabarney clutching the Premiership trophy last year could be seen in the Copeland Road stand. It was a stunning display of which those responsible could be proud. Yet it would perhaps have taken everyone in the 50,010 strong crowd that day to hold up a picture to do full justice to Rangers myriad momentous achievements, famous triumphs, revered managers and exceptional footballers. Four lads had a dream to start a football team. They had no money, no kit, not even a ball. Peter Campbell, William McBeath, Moses McNeil and his brother Peter Four students who hailed from villages along the Gairloch could never have imagined when they came up with the idea to form a football club as they strolled through West End Park in Glasgow city centre in the March of 1872, what their creation would go on to become. Rangers are renowned in Scotland, Europe and even around the globe today. The 55 top-flight titles which they have claimed since the Scottish League was formed in 1890 is a world record which they hold jointly with Linfield of Northern Ireland. They were the first club in Scotland to complete a treble in 1949 and have lifted the League Championship, League Cup and Scottish Cup in the same season on seven occasions. Another world record shared with city rival Celtic. Only Al Ali of Egypt have won more trophies than the 116 which Rangers have plundered during their existence. There has only been one European success for their hundreds of thousands of fans to savor. They beat Moscow Denimo 3-2 in the final of the European Cup Winners Cup in the new camp in Barcelona in 1972. The 50th anniversary of that win will be celebrated in the coming weeks and months. Rangers have competed in four European finals. They were also involved in the climaxes of the European Cup Winners Cup in 1961 and 1967 and the UEFA Cup in 2008 which is more than Aberdeen, Celtic and Dundee United have managed. They were also the first British club to reach the final of a UEFA organised tournament in 1961 when they lost 4-1 on aggregate to Fiorentina of Italy. The men responsible for those accomplishments have written their names, not just into the annals of Scottish football, but in the history books of the British game. Bill Struth, who succeeded Wilton as manager in 1920 and spent 34 years in charge, won 18 league championships and 73 trophies in total. No man who has occupied a dugout at a club in the United Kingdom, either before or since, has matched those halls. We are Rangers, Super Rangers. No one likes us. We don't care. There is a famous Struth quote that sums up the mindset at Rangers. Let the others come after us. We welcome the chase, he once remarked. Rangers are despised by fans of their opponents with the same strength of feeling as they are loved by their own followers not least by those of Celtic. That rivalry is one of the fiercest and most famous in sport, and the old firm match between the two among the great derbies in world football. Relations were convivial for many years. Indeed, the first match Celtic played was against Rangers in 1888. Afterwards, both sides sat down for a meal together. Over time, though, an enmity developed due to their disparate identities and the origins of the communities which sustained them. Celtic were formed by a Marist brother to raise money for the the Catholic poor of the East End. Rangers were the club of the Protestant faith, of the monarchy, of the Union. When Sunis, the Sampdoria and Scotland midfielder, was appointed Rangers player manager in 1986, he made it clear that he would refuse to abide by the unwritten non-Catholic signing policy at Ibrooks and would bring in players regardless of their race or religion. He was true to his word. He made Morris Johnson the Mont and Scotland striker who had been unveiled as a Celtic signing that summer, their first high-profile Catholic signing in July 1989, amid a media frenzy and outcry in the stands. Alas, sectarianism endures. Follow, follow, we will follow Rangers. Everywhere, anywhere, we will follow on. Dundee, Hamilton, Aberdeen and back again. If they go to Dublin, we will follow on. Supporting Rangers is very much like a religion for their fans. The Ibrox Club is, though their detractors may be loath to admit it, box office. As the chant goes, you're only here to see Rangers. Their financial implosion in 2012 led to them dropping down the divisions and to many years of difficulty and hardship from which they're only now emerging. Another well-known Struth quote proved remarkably prescient at that time. Never fear, inevitably we shall have our years of failure and when they arrive, we must reveal tolerance and sanity. He once wrote, no matter the days of anxiety that come our way, we shall emerge stronger because of the trials to be overcome. There are no cast iron guarantees that Giovanni Van Bronckhurst's team will mark their 150th anniversary by lifting more silverware. But whatever happens, they will remain at the forefront of the Scottish game, continue to make waves in Europe and keep on blazing a trail around the world. The Rangers Review is making its exciting first foray into print with an 84 page souvenir glossy magazine to mark the 150th anniversary of the club. Featuring exclusive new interviews with club legends, in-depth reviews of the biggest matches the club has ever had and stories you probably won't have heard before from the club's long history. This is a magazine that Rangers fans will want to keep forever. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Evening Times Sport, April 13. Parkhead fan favourite Moravchik insists without Rangers, Celtic are half. Report by James Kearney. Lubomir Moravchik insists that the Celtic players are feeling the benefits of having a rival to overhaul as he claimed the Glasgow Club need a strong Rangers in order to become the best versions of themselves. The Slovakian, who is a cult figure at Parkhead, was signed by former manager Joe Venglos in 1998, before eventually departing the East End in 2002, with two league titles, two Scottish Cups and a solitary League Cup under his belt. Rangers saw successive title tilts wither in recent years until Steven Gerrard led the Govan Outfit to the Premiership Trophy last term. It was the Ibrox Club's first piece of silverware since its financial implosion in 2012 and sparked Ange Postecoglou's revolution at Celtic with the Greek Australian returning the team to the top of the league standings with five matches left to play. Things were not quite so rosy on the continent though, as Celtic were dumped out of the Europa Conference League by Bodo Glimt, while Rangers have advanced to the quarter-finals of the Europa League. Moravchik believes that Rangers' resurgence has led to standards being raised at Celtic and thinks that having a strong challenger is vital not only to his former club, but to the entirety of Scottish football, as he outlined his hope that Giovanni van Bronckhorst's men can continue to progress in Europe. Said Moratjik, I don't know the situation at Rangers, but without Rangers, Celtic are half. It's not a full Celtic. Celtic need Rangers. Rangers need Celtic. Scottish football needs both. I hope Rangers keep going because even if you lose next season you can win. This season Rangers were much better in Europe than Celtic. Against Bodo they were no good we have to say. I didn't even know which country they came from but they beat Roma on Thursday night in the last minute. When you play in Europe it can be tiring and you're playing against a Celtic team who are not in Europe and are really motivated to win the league. Rangers have a second leg against Braga and the semi-final against Celtic. They maybe have to sacrifice something. If you want to win both, you can lose both. If you're greedy, you can end up with nothing. Everyone wants to win everything. But it's hard these days after playing Braga to play Celtic especially without a big player like Alfredo Morales. It's not an easy situation for Van Bronckhurst. If you're greedy, you can end up with nothing. If you focus on one, maybe you win it. Report by James Kearney. Evening Time Sport April 14. How Maeda overcame doubts. Report by Graeme McGarry. I'm not a good player, Dyson Maida once famously said. So I have to work hard all the time to be a good player. It turns out that one thing has led to the other, for by working relentlessly on the field of play and off it in training to improve his once raw technique, The Japanese attacker has certainly convinced the Celtic supporters of his worthiness to wear the jersey. Does he possess the technical ability, deft touches and close control of a top level attacker such as compatriot Kyogo? Not quite yet. Not many in Scotland do. He has more than made up for that though with his astonishing work rate his clever movement, and let's not forget, his increasingly apparent nose for goal. Mida now has three goals in his last five matches, taking his tally to seven in total since his January arrival at Celtic. His contribution in that recent spell though goes far beyond those goals as Saturday's Man of the Match award. despite bagging just the one of Celtic's seven strikes against St Johnston, testifies. It is hard to forget that it wasn't so long ago that Maeda was being publicly defended by his manager, Ange Postico, who, when his blistering start to his Celtic career tailed off a little in the weeks that followed. A goal just minutes into his debut against Hibs at Celtic Park, had supporters salivating, particularly as the need to fill a Kyogo-shaped hole at the sharp end of the Celtic attack was a pressing one at that particular time. A trip to Japan followed for some crucial World Cup qualifiers, and upon his return, the spark did not quite seem to be there for a short spell leaving some fans concerned that he wasn't the man to fill Kyogo's boots after all. The thing is, he would never claim to be, and now he is showing the distinct qualities of his own that have made him such a great fit for Celtic and for Posticoglu's style of play. The 23 goals he bagged for Yokohama F Marinos last season incidentally would suggest that the current uptick in his scoring rate is a return to the mean rather than a purple patch, and it was his mini drought of it just a few weeks ago that was in fact out of character. People look for different things, but I know what I get from Dazen, and why I brought him to this club, Posticoglu said, just as Maida's critics began to circle following the goalless draw at St Myrne, where he played through the middle of the attack. Posticoglu continued, A lot of people don't see the work he does. The reason St Myrne got nowhere near a penalty box was because Dazen was constantly pressurising their goalkeeper, who is great with his feet. Every player has a role. Sometimes you don't get all the headlines. But within the four walls at Celtic Park, he gets his due recognition. His willingness to be the epitome of the footballing cliche of a player who defends from the front may well have resulted in Meda being labelled as more of a defensive asset rather than an attacking one, a workhorse, perhaps, or worse, a headless chicken. As the weeks have progressed, though, he has shown that it is his intelligence of movement, both when Celtic are in possession and when they are not, that is such a huge asset to his team in both defensive and offensive situations. When the opposition have the ball, Meda is not running for running's sake. Rather, he shows remarkable prescience of when precisely to press and Harry defenders, married to an appreciation of potential passing lanes and an ability to cut them off. This has been clearly evident since at least the away game at Livingston, where his headed goal was important, but his suffocation of the Livingston defenders as they attempted to play accurate long balls forward was equally as vital. At Eyebrooks in the win over Rangers, he displays those same attributes, making life uncomfortable for the home defenders time and time again, as he hounded them like some rabid Duracell bunny. When Celtic do have the ball, he may not be able to offer the same target through the middle as the likes of Georgius Giacomakis or play the same sort of give and goes that that Kyogo causes havoc with. But given the opposition setups that Celtic come up against more often than not in domestic competition, his movement can be just as effective. When Celtic have the ball, particularly in the midfield area, where the full backs often pop up in the number 10 position, Maeda's first thought is to bomb forward. It is a simple concept, but few players' time can run these runs in behind as intelligently as Mida is currently demonstrating. And the net result is that the opposition, no matter how compact the setup, instantly becomes stretched. Even if MEDA ultimately does not end up as a target of the forward pass, though he often does, he has at the very least created space for his teammates to operate in. So it appears that in the case of MEDA, postikoglu as it seems to be being said with increasing regularity these days, may have been right after all. We have to be careful about just saying four Japanese players Apostikoglu said upon the arrival of Meda, along with fellow January arrivals, Ryo Hatati and Yasukuge, Ediguchi. These are four individuals. They are four totally different people. If you ever get the chance to meet them, you will see they are totally different people, totally different kinds of players. So no, Daisan Meda is not Kyogo. But then, the Celtic attack is all the richer and all the more potent for that, says Graham Magari. Evening Time Sport, April 14. The Rangers and Celtic bond of friendship that time forgot. Report by Matthew Lindsay. That Celtic were formed by Brother Walfred in 1887 To raise funds for the poor of the East End of Glasgow is common knowledge to anyone with even a passing interest in Scottish football. But what is less well known is that it was not the first occasion that a side for the impoverished Catholic communities of the city had been set up, or that Rangers, who would go on to become their greatest rivals in the following decades played a significant role in the successful start to life. A plethora of hibernians, emeralds, harps, emmets and shamrocks had sprung up in Glasgow in the 1870s and 1880s, only to disappear as quickly as they had emerged for economic reasons. Another Celtic had even been formed in the Postle Park area the very same year. The Scottish Athletic Journal in November 1887 reported that Lonsdale Swifts had traveled to play them only to find no Celtic was to be seen. Jed O'Brien, a football historian and founder of the Scottish Football Museum said, Glasgow Celtic was the 15th attempt to form a team for the Irish poor in the city by my calculations. A Glasgow Celtic side was formed in 1873 and played a game against a team called Eastern on Glasgow Green. That was the first known effort to start an Irish team in the city. For every Scottish team we have now, there are a minimum of 99 teams which have been lost to us. Rangers were one of the very few clubs which kept going at that time. Ironically, Rangers were very influential in the foundation of Celtic. They sent over a team to play them in their very first match on May 28, 1888. That was what they did. Many of the Rangers players were friendly with the mailies brothers Willie and Tom, who played in the first Celtic team they were in the same athletics club. Tom Valance, the former Rangers and Scotland right back, was particularly close to Tom Maley through his involvement with the Clydesdale Harriers and he was the president of the Irish of the Ibrox club in 1888. The same was true of a number of Rangers players. Alexander Bryce Mackenzie, who would later go on to serve as an Ibrox director was as well. In the Glasgow Observer in 1911, Tom Maley described him as a big favourite at Park for organising the first Rangers side to play the Celts. But Valens would certainly have been actually aware of the challenges which Celtic would face. Rangers had required his predecessor, George Gaudy to give them an emergency loan of £30 to ensure their continued existence just a few years earlier. Writing in the evening times during that tumultuous period, Milo remarked that Rangers had come within an ace of ignominious bust. Edinburgh Hibernian, the then Scottish Cup holders, had agreed to Hansel Cowley's new ground that month, and it is believed that Queen's Park, the eminent outfit of that era and notoriously snooty to boot, had considered a match against the unknown newcomers beneath them. They had declined an invitation to take on another new club in their first game in 1872, because it was going to be played on Glasgow Green. Rangers. Said O'Brien, Rangers helped because they were friends with the players who helped to form Celtic. They helped because in the days of amateurism, everybody knew everybody else and everybody helped everybody else. Everyone was in it together. The match which Celtic won 5-2, thanks in no small part to a hat-trick by Tom Mealy. During a crowd of 2,000, and the money raised, one report revealed, went towards clearing off the heavy debt which had been incurred, getting the field into such good condition. The far-sighted board that the new club recognized they needed, despite the charitable intentions which led to their formation, to be run as a commercial enterprise, in order to avoid the fate of the numerous sides which had come before them and failed. Their approach led to some disgruntled traditionalists among them to break away and form a side called Glasgow Hibernian, which quickly fell by the wayside. The huge Irish community in the west of Scotland also threw themselves behind Celtic in large numbers and their rise to prominence in their formative years was meteoric as a result. But having an established club like Rangers provide the opposition in their first match certainly helped them to get up and running no end. O'Brien continued, we know that animosity exists now between the Celtic and Rangers fans, but we forget the fact that when they started out, they were buddies. The attitude at Rangers was, great, our pals want to set up a team. Let's see what we can do to help them, because we have been down the same road. They didn't need to go and give their athletics pals help, but they decided to go along and give them a hand. For the first time ever, this version of an Irish team, sticks comes from nowhere and goes on to become one of the biggest clubs in the world. It is an incredible story. There might too have been less altruistic reasons behind Rangers willingness to send a Swift's or reserve side across the river Clyde to play Celtic in their inaugural match at Parkhead. Peter McNeil, one of the four founder members of Rangers, ran a shop in Renfield Street in Glasgow City Centre along with his brother Harry the former Queen's Park and Scotland player, which supplied kits to football clubs across the United Kingdom. He was the vice president of Rangers in 1888 and may have sensed that Celtic surviving and flourishing would be beneficial for his business. Said O'Brien, the McNeill brothers owned a hosiery shop which sold sports goods. They would sell strips to everybody. It is reasonable to assume the McNeils thought here is a new market which has come out of nowhere when Celtic were formed. In the following years, Rangers, Celtic and Queen's Park went on to jointly transform the sport of football into the modern day behemoth, beloved by millions around the globe, which it has become. Said O'Brien. Rangers, along with Queen's Park and Celtic, basically turned football into the mass spectator sport it is now in a way that nobody at the time could possibly have imagined. Football had been popular for hundreds of years, but to begin with, what you basically had was a group of strangers standing on the side of a pitch, watching another group of strangers keeping fit. But Rangers, Celtic and Queen's Park were involved in an arms race in the 1890s and 1900s to see who could build the best stadium and stage Scotland games against England, as well as the Scottish Cup semi-finals and finals. Those were the massive money spinners. It was why Rangers moved from the stadium at King Park to the first Eyebrooks and then the second Ibrox the site of the current stadium. The Ibrox stadiums were the biggest buildings in their area, and that was an area which had some of the world's major shipbuilding yards. Rangers and Celtic had grounds which any other country would have killed for. Ibrooks and Celtic Park were like the cathedrals of the modern age. Rangers built a massive stadium, which could basically hold 10% of the population of the city when Glasgow was home to 1 million people. It could have held the population of Dundee. It was extraordinary. At one time, the three largest football grounds in the world were in one city. Hamden Park, which held 185,000. Ibrox, which probably held 120,000 and Celtic Park, which probably held 100,000. To say that Glasgow stood alone in the world game at that time is a massive understatement. There was nothing remotely like the three grounds. There was nothing remotely like the power of those three clubs. It was the world capital of football. It is hard for people to comprehend that a group of lads who played their first game against Calendar on Glasgow Green in 1872. We're playing out of one of the most impressive football stadiums in the world. A few years later. Clubs everywhere looked to Rangers to see how they could do it as well. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Evening times sport. April 14. Var in Scotland draws on false equivalence in Premier League. Report by Kenneth Ward, Deputy Sports Editor. I have always hated false equivalences. They were a redoubtable tool in the armory of my teachers and parents. Both terms attributable to my own mother. To make round hold arguments work against their square-legged little interlocutors. As a quasi-toddler, four to five-year-old scholars, we have all followed blindly our peers into committing some heinous acts of hooliganism, such as emptying the sandpit onto the playground and, when confronted by the pulsing temple of our primary one teacher, responded with a shrug he was doing it first. The reply to this defence has a 100% kill rate. If he jumped off a bridge, would you jump off after him? Now I've never encountered death by grain of sand, but even fresh out of pampers, I would always wince at this reply. But as we get older, grumpier, and eventually reproduce the snotty-nosed little cretins at the sandpit, When we are confronted with the idiocy of the tipping of the sand onto our freshly mown lawn ritual and rush out to elicit sweet justice, we do so armed with that killer line, just in case they've twigged that it's really not such a big deal. That's kind of our position of our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, finds himself in at present. After his own potential penalty check came back with the award of a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police, the Prime Minister was caught out squarely for breaking the laws he delivered to the British people, while his snivelling peers rally round and try to draw up false equivalences of their own. One suggested in the immediate aftermath of the news of Johnson's fine that the prime minister who wrote the rules genuinely wasn't aware of the rules. He then went on to presumably get his own back on those primary school teachers who had berated him for spilling the caviar on the Persian rug, insisting that they were doing it first so with the gods of false equivalences beaming in the firmament they'll be sure that scottish football delivers its promise to introduce var to next season's premiership competition at a vote next week of the spfl's 42 member clubs before they do let me get one more false equivalence straightened out first and foremost the Scottish Premiership is not the English Premier League nor Spain's La Liga, France's League One or German's Bundesliga. We may be cut from the same cloth, have massive clubs, clubs with great histories and traditions but it's a whole other ball game out there and VAR is a part of that. Again you can think of our esteemed leader Boris Johnson and his fellow Krum and right hand man Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. As with the Scottish and English Football Leagues, while both men are conceivably cut from the same roll of wallpaper, one is desperate to be seen as rich and powerful, while the other slipped into the role after marrying a billionaire heiress. You get the feeling of Rishi walked into the Westminster tea rooms, tossing a flashing new light up yo-yo and getting everyone excited. Johnson would arrive the same day with one he'd sent an aide to buy with a fiver down at the market. The self-styled clown would then arrive in his usual hurricane of bluster, wind the thing up, let rip and bang. It would fall to pieces and crash on the floor, and everything would go back to their tech My worry is that Scottish football is doing the same thing here with VAR. I've written before about the vagaries of video assistant referees in general, of the folly in thinking that it answers more questions than it presents. My main issue in a viewing sense is for the fans inside stadia, bearing in mind how heavily Scottish football depends on that income stream. Diminishing the ability to celebrate a goal properly, for instance, because it's being referred to a guy in an SFA trackie sitting in a tin box X amount of feet away from the ground is sacrosanct to the experience of the everyday football fan. When we tune into Sky Sports or BBC's Match of the Day to watch English football, these incidents occur with the commentator explaining the procedure, shots cutting to the control room, replays of the incident. In the Premier League, a minimum of 30 cameras record every match from every angle, and the broadcasters can utilise these to preempt the VAR decision and then go on and debate it afterwards in the studio to millions of viewers worldwide. At the ground, meanwhile, where Scottish supporters tend to dwell, the punter is simply at the mercy of the referee's protracted whistle and gesture. The costs, which will effectively eat into the prize money each team receives this season on a top-down basis, the higher a team finishes in the table this term, the more the club contributes to the VAR bill. Do not represent value for money for me. We've had Davy Martindale, an honest speaker in the wake of wins and losses for his Livington side, they bemoan the financial hit of individual refereeing decisions after his side's costly defeat to St. Johnston before the split. I'm sorry, Davey, but where a team ends up after 33 matches of a league season isn't down to a soft penalty against a stonewaller denied in one match. And VAR won't solve that. So while it looks like the VAR cavalcade will roll into grounds across the Premiership next season, wind up the celluloid and let rip against our game. My only hope is that it makes like a yo-yo and swings back out of town again before the whole thing does go bang. But perhaps the only solace we have is if it all goes wrong. At least we can point to England and say they did it first. Report by Kenneth Ward, Deputy Sports Editor.
0: That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback.